Hey, girlfriends, welcome back to another episode of Girlfriends and Goals. We're your hosts, Miosha and Samaria. This podcast is a space where we'll talk about friendships, life goals, a little bit of pop culture, and all things womanhood. Our top goal this year is to grow our podcast audience. So if you're new here or you're an avid listener of this podcast, please subscribe, leave us a five star rating, write a review, and be sure to share this episode with a girlfriend or two. Before we jump into our first segment, I want to introduce our special guest for today. Autumn, welcome to the Girlfriends and Goals podcast. Hello, hello, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. It feels really good to be here. Yes, we're very excited for you to be here. So if you can just take a moment to just introduce yourself, tell our audience a little bit about you. And later on, they'll hear that you are the perfect guest for this topic. Awesome. Yes. So everyone, um, as they so graciously introduced me as I am Autumn, I am a licensed mental health therapist based in Maryland, and I have been in the field for a number of years, and I became a clinical licensed therapist in 2020 on the brink of everything that was happening in the social climate. And in that moment, I realized how being in that social political climate, so to speak, everything that was happening with race, the elections, and just life in general, uh, my mental health definitely was taking a toll. And coming right out of grad school, I realized that this was something that I needed to pay attention to. And instantly I thought, you know, I can't be the only one going through this. And so there, the Soul Reasons was born. And the Soul Reasons is my mental health brand on Instagram, which I've been running since, you know, about graduation time of 2020. And I am a passionate, devoted advocate for not only mental health awareness, particularly for Black and Brown folks, but also tearing down and dismantling the, you know, the systemic oppression that is engraved in our society today because it has a major impact on our mental health as well um, in a number of different ways in many different life areas. And I think the more that I talk about it, the more that I collaborate with other people who want to talk about it, the more that we can raise awareness and things can get done. So that's my tidbit. Yes. Thank you so much. That is wonderful. And again, we are so happy to have you on and so glad that we follow the soul reasons. All right. We're going to jump into our first segment today, which is Girl, What's Good? Where we talk about something that we've been loving for the past couple of weeks. Could be a book, a store, a bottle of wine, anything that you've been loving. So Autumn, what's been good with you? Hmm. I love this question so much because it really makes me sit back and think like about my self-care check-in, I guess you could say, like, what have I been doing that I like to do that it's been bringing me joy and pleasure, which is so important. Um, I, I want to say it's been a makeup um, product that I've been using. It's a brow gel and pencil from Lip Bar. 
another black you know woman owned business out of Detroit who started off as just lipstick and now she's just expanding she's all in Target and I I love makeup I love makeup I love everything about it but I was hesitant about brow gels and all the girls in the trends were really into it and I was just like let's give it a try and if I'm going to give it a try I'm going to go with the brand that I love and trust and dub black owned and woman owned so it was a no-brainer I tried it the first time I was like yep I'm obsessed and I have it on right now and I'm just like can I stop looking at them so yes um, <laughs> yeah that's been that's been something that's been really making me happy and bringing me joy that's been what's good with me because yeah okay. I had to splurge a little yes okay. I love that brand I remember seeing them on Shark Tank like years ago and just to like see like where they are now um, I'm pretty sure it was the lip bar because like the the sharks weren't seeing the vision that they had um and mm. so like, I don't think they signed them uh, but yeah, so I'm just so glad that they are where they are and they kept on going. So yeah, I, I have never tried brow gel. I've had people try it on me, but um, I'm not as I'm not really skilled with makeup. So I, I might I might try it now that you said it. I might struggle a time or two. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, Miosha, what's good with you? What's been good with me is actually an app and it's called the Wonder Weeks. And yeah, so I've been using this app for about the last two years. And this app helps you stay on top of your child's mental um, development. Mm -hmm. And so the way that it works is based off of your child's, I believe, gestational age, it will predict the different mental leaps that they'll experience the first two years of life. And so now that I'm coming up towards the end of using the app, I can definitely say that I highly recommend it. And especially for new moms, or even if you've already had a child, but maybe you didn't use it before, it really helps you to be in tune with what's going on with your child from a development standpoint and skill standpoint. But I think more importantly, just understanding kind of some of the discomfort that may come along with those mental leaps. It predicts it. So it'll say like, hey, you know, in three weeks, your child will have this mental leap and they'll learn these different skills. Mm -hmm. And you know, during this time, you may want to exercise additional care and concern and patience to help them through those leaps. Uh, so for example, uh, they may regress on their sleep, they may eat poorly, more fussy, more clingy. I don't know, for me, just as a first time mom, having that guide has really helped me. And I will say I was very skeptical at first. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking there's no way that an app can predict my child's behavior. And I actually started using the apps from birth. And I can say every single leap that has happened has been scarily accurate. So if you're a first time mom, you're looking for something to help you with the developmental changes that happen in the first two years of your child's life, I'd highly recommend it. It's called the Wonder Weeks. Nice. Okay, cool. That that. that sounds really neat. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's scarily accurate to the day where you can see like your child, their mind just kind of developing and them Mm -hmm learning different things. And you're just like, how does this app know my child? But (laughs) it is Mm science-based and it's based off of the, I think, gestational age, not the actual date of birth. So that's how they're able to make it so accurate. Uh, How long, um, I guess, how long do you use it for? Is there like a a timeframe that is the the cutoff or... (laughs) 
Yes. So it tracks um, the 10 leaps that happen within the first two years of life. So from birth until 18 months. And the first leap, I think, happens at about four weeks. Mm. And then I think the last one is around 18 months ish. And um, each leap lasts about four to six weeks. Some are longer, some are shorter. But yeah, you can definitely see the changes in your child's behavior. And they also have like a skills section where it's like, oh, when this leap is over, your child may likely be able to understand or do the this list of things. But of course, it's a wide range. Every child develops at different um, points, but the leaps and changes in behavior is very accurate. Okay, cool beans. Um, yeah, that's really good to know. <laughs> uh, so my girl, what's good is actually this show on YouTube uh, by To Hear More. It's called Wording is Hard. And it started in 2020. And I've been watching it since it started. So I can't believe like I haven't ever uh, had this uh, as my girl what's good. But it's a show um, based on English being hard. And so they have to like pronounce certain words, spell certain words, guess the definition of certain words. And um, it's usually like two contestants and then they have the quote unquote teacher who's in the back like saying, okay, you were right and you were wrong. I feel like I'm not doing it justice, but it's amazing, this show. It's hilarious um, to hear more as a comedian. So, you know, they're always telling jokes on there and stuff like that. So if you are interested in words um if you're interested in like english or you just want to get a good laugh because people mess up because sometimes the simplest words <laughs> like, it wants to take you out yeah, oh, yeah. Have you second guessing your um education honestly like <laughs> or the educational system in the u.s because that's how bad it gets sometimes but it's absolutely hilarious it's one of my favorite shows they come out with new episodes on youtube every single wednesday and again it's called wording is hard so yeah 100 recommend okay <laughs> all right so um before we get into the topic since it is women's history month every week we want to make sure that in addition to talking about topics that um do primarily um, affect women, we want to shout out a woman-owned business. And so today's person that we're highlighting is Sania, who is from the brand on Instagram, Flynanced, and that's fly.nanced. And what she does is she helps, um, I'm literally looking at her Instagram page and it says, helping nine to five hotties earn more, build wealth and travel. And I absolutely love that. Um, and it's a wonderful Instagram page that actually Autumn recommended to us. So if you um, would just go ahead and check out fly.nance, we'll make sure that we leave her information in the description box so that you guys can check her out. And yeah, just wanted to shout out uh, Sania today. All right, we're going to jump right into today's topic, which is mental health and womanhood. And we wanted to cover this topic because one, we think it's a great way to kick off Women's History Month. But two, we know that many of us have gone through a lot within the last two years. And we believe that now more than ever is a good time to really be dialed into our mental health just as much as we would any other area of our life. So Autumn, I wanted to ask you, what led you to become a therapist and focus on the area that you do? 
Yes, thank you. I always love this question because it, you know, helps me to go back in time and really ground myself on the beginning. So I fell into it. I honestly fell into the whole psychology therapy thing, just like many things that are just destined to be. It really, I've just really felt connected to it. And I just didn't, wasn't able to put a word to it until I got older. So growing up, I was always very interested in human behavior. Why do people do the things they do, think the way they think? I, I was seven thinking these things. And I was really intrigued by it. Like the whole nature versus nurture debate. Like I found out about that in like middle school. And I was like, yeah, like how can I learn more? How can I get more of that? And I thought I wanted to be a vet very, very, for a very, very long time. And then I took chemistry in high school and I quickly, quickly realized that that was not my ministry. So um, I was speaking with my mom who was in school, awesome lady who was in school studying psychology, got to talking with her about her classes. I was like, okay, yeah, this sounds kind of like what I would always like to do anyway. Took Psych 101 in college and it was um, onward from, from there. And I took a counseling technique class in college and I was like, yeah, this is it. This is my path. And um, over time, I, you know, did the research and I went to Johns Hopkins University's uh, counseling program, their master's program, graduated in 2020. I was really connected to their, um, I was really connected to their mission in diversity and social justice, which is something that I have been very, that I felt very connected to from a young age as well. I knew early on what urban plight looked like. I knew that um, it had some kind, it took some kind of disadvantage over the people, myself and the people that I love and the people in my community. And again, I didn't know the words for it until I got older and got more education, more learning, more opportunity, more networking. And I learned like, oh, this is social injustice. Okay, <laughs> don't like this. And I realized that, you know, I can blend social justice and mental health together. And Johns Hopkins helped me to, to really um, frame that for myself, of course. And yeah, and so, you know, it was just a blend, as you can hear, like, it was just a blend of yeah. many different things in my life that really just led me here, like, like any journey, like any journey. True. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And so yeah. here we are. I know. And, you know, it's interesting that you have these things that you're passionate about. And then like, as you become educated, you learn, oh, there's a phrase for this. Like there's, there are words for this. So I don't have to like, yeah, reinvent the wheel or um, it makes it easier to articulate the things that you're passionate about. But I was going to mm -hmm. ask with that background and with those things that you are passionate about, what, what are the most common traumas that you see um, and that you wish people were more aware of or interested in fixing? And it can be pre-pandemic or like since you, <laughs> since you started with the clinical side um, during the pandemic, it can be related to that as well. Yes. And so, you know, this question really made me, it's really making me think and reflect because trauma is such a spectrum. Mm. It's such a broad spectrum, right? And so it's just like each trauma looks different and manifests differently. And it's ah. Uh, but honestly, I was just like, you know what? Go with your gut. And in my gut, it what popped up was racial and generational trauma. And I wanted to, you know, really elaborate on that because I feel like it is so woven into our day to day that it's like invisible, so to speak, you know, and we don't really, we don't always have a conscious mind of it. Or we're not so always so aware of it and how, what it looks like and how it impacts us on a day to day basis. Um, because it is, you know, part of the culture. And it's been kind of, you know, it's been America or the society for a very long time. And that is, it's, it's traumatic. It's a very traumatic experience. And as far as like, you know, the racial trauma, um, because racial trauma is, you know, rooted in 
you know, psychological, physical violence and aggression and, you know, really uncertain of the future, your future, like that's traumatic. And then you, you're generationally, you, you're learning that trauma and you're passing it down and down and down and down to the next, to the next. And it's like an ongoing cycle and it kind of reinforces it. And that makes it even, you know, that kind of, you know, definitely deepens the problem because then it kind of evolves and it starts to look a little different over time, but it's still there and the roots are still there. And so then it gets complicated and complex and it becomes even more normalized, so to speak. So I I think those, and then, so when I speak to a lot of my clients, I'm always asking about family, like in the, by the third session, I'm asking you about your family. (laughs) <laughs> like you need to tell me about your childhood because there's going to be so many things you can tell me about your family that's going to help me tell you about you and then it's also going to help me tell you about the environment and the culture and all of those things so uh, this is you know this come to me with the, you know concerns and then I'll take it a little deeper so and then I learned that these are common this is very common um for me in the time that you've been practicing and I guess just from your life experience because you mentioned from a young age that you've had interest in this area have you seen a difference in the acceptance of therapy through the different generations? Oh, for sure. Um, You know, for sure. And I actually just, great segue, because I was, you know, just talking about generational patterns and, you know, going generation, generation. And I'm definitely noticing, especially with the pandemic, there's been a lot of push on mental health awareness and taking care of your mental hygiene and prioritizing it. And so that a lot of young people, especially on social media, especially on technology, where most would, I don't know the numbers, 18 to 33 year olds are, um, <laughs> something like that. Who the they're studying the same these days? Um, but, you know, a lot of, so a lot of young folks, millennials and, you know, and Gen Z, I don't know, the younger folks are, you know, really tapping into this. And not only are they doing that, they're like really sharing it with their elder, you know, their elder, you know, family members and relatives and having those conversations at the dinner table now. And it's kind of, it's like in your face, like, you know, for example, with the small bios, like I'm not doing this, my mental health is not in the state that I want to be like that, that was international news. And like, so more people are speaking about it um, to Raji B. Henson. And so people are normalizing the conversation. Of course, more work is needed, but you know, I definitely am seeing a change or a shift in trends here. And, I, and technology is definitely like putting the gas into the tank and getting it to go. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely... Um, something I'm I'm excited for. Yeah. I, so as you were talking, I was thinking about um, this show called A Million Little Things, and I need to go back to it and, and watch the rest of the, the season. Um, they might even have a second season now, but I, I remember a scene where um, one of the guys was really struggling with like depression, severe depression, and he went to his parents and was like trying to talk to them and figure out, hey, like, is this something that you guys have experienced? Like, or is it just me? And it was a little bit like disappointing. So this was the the black character in the show. Um, I think he might've been the only black character in the show, (laughs) but he, so he goes to his dad and his dad's like, oh son, everybody gets sad. But come to find out, thankfully like the mom was listening and Mm. she might've said like, no, this is something that your dad has been going through for quite some time. And it's way mm. deeper than, oh, everybody gets sad sometimes. Like, you know, he mm. really struggles with that. So I don't know where things went from there because I, I don't, I hadn't watched it in a while, but. Don't take what, like I, 
it's like it seemed like a really good show and obviously it's like highlighting you know some of the stuff that we're talking about now but I wanted to ask mm -hmm. you Miyoshi do you notice a difference in like the generations and how how receptive they are to therapy yeah I can definitely see a difference and I agree with everything that Autumn said it's, it's definitely more in your face now but I'd say for our parents generation um for us millennials I'd say that the biggest difference that I I've seen is proximity and accessibility to mm. therapy. So I just think about my parents' generation and just their access to it, whether it was how do we even find it if, if we are interested? And then also from like a financial standpoint, like, okay, is this something that I can even afford? Because I don't even know if health insurance and things like that would have covered those types of services outside of maybe something that was already diagnosed. So I'd say mm -hmm. that I think a lot of their receptiveness to it is just that they maybe weren't exposed to it or had proximity to it from a younger age for them versus us. Now we have apps like BetterHelp and all these different, you know, uh, resources kind of at our fingertips. And, you know, I wonder if they had that type of access, would mm -hmm. they just be more open to it because it was a part of the culture at the time of their youth. Yeah, mm -hmm. and even even now, I think it's hard to break out of how things were seen maybe when they were growing up. So it's like, oh, you don't really go to a therapist unless you need like, mm -hmm. until you're like breaking down, which mm -hmm. um, if you're someone who is high performing, I don't know that that's easy to spot, <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, it, I definitely also notice um, notice a difference between how receptive we are and the generations coming behind us um, to therapy versus the generation before us. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of want to um, switch gears just a little bit because um, we have talked about some heavy issues. Well, this whole thing is a, a, a huge and heavy issue. So yeah, this, this doesn't necessarily like go away from that. But um, I want to talk about something that is often shown on social media and that I have seen in media since I was like a really young girl. And I'm curious to hear like how both of you feel about it. But of course, Autumn will start with you. And that's like the term strong black woman, what it used to be and kind of its evolution now. What thoughts do you have around that? Yes. And so, you know, I definitely, um, you know, can relate to, you know, the strong black woman phenomenon, I guess you can say, even on like a personal level, you know, all my, my family is definitely matriarchal, women everywhere, women paying bills, doing things, you know, and so it was definitely some, just personally, I think, and like many folks, I can't speak for everyone, but I really feel like generally speaking, like, you know, this term or, or, you know, this position, so to speak, was this status was promoted, it was encouraged, it was you know, uh, you know, praise, you know, so to speak. But over time, as I continue to, you know, just really grow in my own womanhood, um, you know, and my understanding of the world around me, I'm, I'm also, I'm definitely seeing an evolution. I'm definitely seeing like a shift in, in my own vision. But in that, I'm able to see that other people are also kind of on the same wavelength as well. And so um, doing in my research and just, you know, doing the things I do, um, I've learned that or I've connected that, you know, Black women historically, um, when, you know, when they were enslaved, you know, they had to nurse 
you know, their, you know, those who enslaved them, children and, you know, their own children, and they had to tend to their own, you know, their own works and duties while also caring for the family. And then that kind of just like carries on over time. And, you know, we've, and it, it gave this concept or this idea that we cannot put ourselves first, you know, always self-sacrificing, always giving up ourselves for the, the greater community or the greater good, so to speak, and really getting lost in the salsa in lack of a better words, because then, you know, uh, we start, I really feel like as over time, um, because of that, because of, I guess you could say like those lack of boundaries, you know, people may start to take advantage and overlook or not really pay you, you know, you know, pretty give, give you your flowers, <laughs> give you your flowers. And you know what? And we see that. And I, as the first thought that came to mind was like, you know, with Breonna Taylor and how it was months until we got any media coverage on her and, um, and you know, countless other black women. And when I say black women, I mean, all women, you know, even women, um, trans black women. And, um, you know, I really think it's really important um, when it comes down to the idea of the strong black woman, it is really outdated if you ask me, because we're on, right, the time we're on is on, we're on self-care time. <laughs> you know, we have to, we have to, you know, we have to put ourselves first because like, we can't help others if we can't be good to ourselves, you know? So I really feel like it's retrogressive in nature, you know, really, and especially because as black women, we are a spectrum as well. Like, you know, we have a, a lot of different other values, a lot of different other traits and characteristics that make us the, the top notch of the totem pole, if you ask me. Um, well, it's actually facts, but you know, whatever. Um, you know, so it's just like, you know, like I really feel like, you know, being boxed in and it really, because of that box, because of that category, like that categorization, like it's hard for us. It's like we have our own glass ceiling, so to speak, you know? So I really think it's outdated and it's weighing us down and it's really time to start um, kicking your feet up and resting. Yes, mm-hmm. we're on self-care time. I love that. Yes, <laughs> Me, yes we are. Uh, yes, I definitely agree that I have seen a shift and. I myself and other Black women of my age group, I've seen really pushing back in terms of endorsing um, that term or statement about us just because, as you mentioned, it does put us in a box and it leaves minimal room for us to have certain feelings and emotions because people just assume that we're strong. And even when we are in a place of hurt and pain, those concerns aren't taken seriously. I mean, Mm -hmm. you'd have to be under a rock if you haven't heard anything about just the situation in terms of the hospital system and Black women and delivering, them assuming that we have superhuman strength. (laughs) And so, yeah, I I just think that they like to assume that we're strong and kind Mm -hmm. of like push us in that position. I think because it alleviates them as well of, certain things if we're filling that strong space so Mm -hmm. I can definitely say that for me I I don't like to hear it I don't endorse it and you know I would encourage really any woman like even if you feel like hey I am strong just be mindful of leaning so far in that direction Mm -hmm. because we want to be given the room and space 
to be soft feminine and be women as well. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting. It's like strength in and of itself is not even a bad thing, but when it's, it's what's not. expected <laughs> of you, like in every situation, like, dang, I don't get no nuance or nothing. <laughs> like I just got to be strong 24, seven, 365. Like that is exhausting. And, um, we don't even require that of most men. So why, <laughs> why are you requiring that? of little old me, you know? So (laughs) we understand everybody has to exhibit strength at some point, but don't take Mm -hmm. this strength and like make it my whole identity just because I'm a little bit more melanated, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And I'd also add to that is I think that people will put more onto you either intentionally or unintentionally or even change their behavior. It's like if they observe like, oh, you have it together. Oh, you're strong you seem like you can take a lot Mm -hmm. it's almost like some people will use that as rhyme or reasoning to give you more oh I don't know if I don't know if y'all have seen Encanto (laughs) Uh, it's a it's a Disney movie that is (laughs) I don't, it's not fairly, it's, it's still kind of new. It's like the newest Disney movie, but I only heard about it because people kept talking about, we don't talk about Bruno and I'm like, where is this from? Like, why am I out of the loop? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Okay. Yes. So it comes from the movie Encanto. It's on Disney plus right now. Um, I mean, that, that could have been my girl. What's good this time too, but <laughs> there is a character in there who is strong. And so people are just like, okay, that's, that's her gift. Strength is her gift. So even though she's like broken down, it, people just expect her to still perform and it does mm-hmm. become like too heavy. So I think you should, I think you, um, you would like it. Well, I think anybody would like it cause I like it, but <laughs> <laughs> But um, just to go back to um, like Autumn saying, like I've seen a shift in our generation, Miyosha, you echoing that. Um, it's interesting that Autumn was talking about things that are passed down because I do think that title has been passed yeah. down. So I think it's so incredible that our generation is like, mm, we don't want that title that's been passed down. Like we can actually choose, um, especially now with the resources and like with the reach that we have with social media. I love that for us. Like I love that we're taking a stance and saying, we don't want this anymore. Like, don't call, mm-hmm. don't say that to me. So um, yeah, just wanted to point out those few things. But then um, Autumn, I do want to ask you, um, just in line with like things that we've seen on the internet and popular things that we've seen, there's this idea of the strong friend. And I want to ask you from your perspective, how do people check on the strong friend? And um isn't it like limited maybe by how vulnerable the strong friend is or how open they are about what's going on? Oh, yes. And so, you know, definitely connected to um, what we've been, you know, talking about so far for sure. And when when I was here, as you said, it's like strong, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so subjective. And so, you know, it can mean different, strong can look differently for many different people. So I'll just, you know, keep it general, um, especially because when we're Take, talking about like relationships, like friendships, relationships, date, any kind of relationship, I always strive to encourage people to one, like look at the relationship with yourself, okay? Like, are you the strong friend? Like you want to help the strong friend, but are you the strong friend? You know, and so it's just like, I think it's really important for us to have those self-reflections. Um, but I also think that's helpful because when we approach that strong friend to be, you know, very empathetic, um, you know, to, you know, use those communication skills, active listening and um, you know, really, you know, tapping into that. But I, I, de- I definitely think that in addition to that, you know, looking into yourself, modeling what it looks like to 
to be strong but soft. Like, you know, I love what um, you were saying, Damiosha, you know, be strong. I'm strong, but I am also soft. And so it's like, you know, before we come up to a person, it's like, can you, are you modeling that same behavior as well? You know, I just, you know, from a standpoint of, I guess you were saying backing up your words, <laughs> you know, before you go to that strong frame, you know, really checking in with yourself first. Because um, in a relationship, it takes two. So making sure you good too, right? Um, and then when, it, you know, when that come, times comes, when you do feel comfortable or you notice some things about your friend um, and you may be worried about your friend and they may be a little off, or you just, you know, you notice that they've been putting a lot of more energy, maybe um, going to burnt, um, being burnt out. I think just being really genuine and being proactive is really one of the best ways to resolve any problem. And so just genuinely checking in on your friend, like, hey, girl, how you doing? What's going on? And just really building that rapport, building a relationship. Sometimes people just want to talk. They don't want to talk about what's going on with them. And sometimes it just comes out naturally, like, you know, therapy. <laughs> you just start talking. Next thing you know, we're talking about childhood problems. It's just having sometimes. So, you know, just really building the friendship and just making, just nurturing the space for your friends to feel, even feel comfortable because a lot of times the strong friend doesn't feel vulnerable. Like it's nothing personal, um, you know, but because they've been taught or learned or what have you acquired this, you know, mindset or attitude that I have to be strong for the sake of myself and others. You know, sometimes you just have to give them that space to like kind of ride it out, even though you may want to really step in and like, what you doing? And shake them up and like, hey girl, what's up? You know, I think, you know, sometimes just having that space and, you know, once they are willing and or if you do just have that relationship where you can just approach them directly, I think you can just also just be direct and in a certain way, like, hey, how can I help you right now? Like, sometimes we don't want to be too quick to say what you tell them what they need. Like, you need to calm down. You need to relax. Like, you need to just take a vacation. You need to go on a date, swipe on Tinder. Like, no, like, I, you know, that can be dismissive sometimes. And so sometimes they're like, no, I, I just need a hug, really. <laughs> like, that's all I really needed. Like, I just need someone to, like, watch my dog for me this weekend and I'll be fine. And, like, you know, okay, I can do that. It's like, you know, sometimes it's just like, asking them what they need and if they like I don't know what I need right now it's like okay well when you find out let me know just know again nurturing the space and so I think when it comes to this strong friend like most of the things in my um even in my style and practice like really giving them the autonomy to you know come up to you and feel comfortable with you and just giving them the, the option to choose um you know to say hey I want to talk about this or this is something that I want help with and need help with and so you know it, it can be really empowering sometimes mm, yes you said a lot, girl. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> oh, that, no, that in, a, in a good way. Um, yeah. just because that look I mean, within? Yeah. yeah. And also, like, with the nurturing the space or just calling to just have a conversation because I've noticed, like, um, I've noticed that I, I won't open up about what's going on if you're just doing a quick check-in. I will not. Like, we, we mm. have to talk about the Lakers, we have to talk about, um, I don't know, clothes, the celebrity drama, whatever. We have to have like several conversations before I'm like, oh, well, since they're on the phone, let me just open up about what's going on with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really love that you said that. Yeah, I'd say as far as checking in on the strong friend, I love that you talked about looking within and kind of the behavior that you're emulating. And a lot of times our friends have a lot in common with us. So you might be on that same strong friend wavelength and not even notice it in yourself. But what I'd say is checking in with the friend, but letting them know that it's okay, that they don't have it all together and just Mm -hmm. reassuring them that you don't have to be perfect. There will be speed bumps, struggles, failures in life. 
And maybe even taking that as an opportunity to be vulnerable with them, assuming that you have that closeness there and hopefully they'll open up as well to let you know what's going on. I just think that as women, as black women, there's a lot of pressure to just be all put together Mm -hmm. and that the, the expectations are so high to be buttoned up. You know, you need this, this, and this, and this, your motherhood needs to look like this, this, and this, your kids need to be this, 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 and this. There's Mm -hmm. so much pressure there. And I just think that we need to have spaces where we let our friends know that girl, it's okay that you don't have it all together. Cause I don't have it all together. Mm -hmm. We don't have it all together. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we won't, and we won't. (laughs) Period. I'm just to piggyback off of what Miyosha said. Like I went to see a friend the other day and she was like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry my child's hair isn't done. And I was like, who is she apologizing to? <laughs> like, what? I was like, why, why are you apologizing to me that, the, and first of all, the kid's hair looked fine to me. I was like, I didn't even think anything of it coming up. So it's really like, like you said, checking in with yourself and realizing, okay, maybe I am putting these expectations on myself that other people mm-hmm. aren't. Uh, but the other thing I was gonna say was like, I think I think I um, in some ways can be that quote unquote strong friend. And what I wanted to say was that my friendships have saved me because I don't have to be strong with them. So yeah. like they're always, because they're like, oh, I think you're, you're acting this way in so many other capacities. Like they have been like that space where I can just exist and not have to be put together and not have to be anything in particular. So um yeah, shout out to friendships. That's all. I was having a conversation. I don't mind sharing it. I was having because it's going very much on the topic, but I was having this conversation with my therapist. Like, I'm like, I don't know why I don't feel like as close to family as I do with my friends. Like, what's up with that? Like, I felt this way for a very long time. Like, why do I do that? And as we got to talking, she was like, oh, it sounds like like with your friends, you can let your guard down. You don't have to be like put on this facade. You don't have to have this performance, this mask. Versus like with your family, like you're the oldest. So it's like, you got all these expectations on you. So if your friends just like, well, you can finally just like, like perfect that it kind of, when you said exist, sorry, like that really clicked with me. Like I can just exist with my friends. I don't have to just, you know, worry. That's why it's so important to have a great support system, y'all. It's so important to have a solid tribe. Yes. And speaking of support system, so switching gears again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the strong friend and you mentioned having a support system. So going back to therapy, do you think that every person needs therapy? And if so, do you see it as something that's lifelong or is it just for a period of time or does it just depend on the current situation that they're in? Yeah. Oh, I so love this question because I actually just posted a story like, what, like 36 hours ago, maybe less on this same topic. And I'm just like, okay, you stars align, the universe doing this thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, so if you would have asked me this question in 20, like 20, um, do you think everyone needs therapy? I would have said yes. And this is my answer would have been, you know, I came across this one meme saying like, if you were ever a child at, at a point in your life, then you should go to therapy. And I was like, this is so true because as kids, like we experience so much and we learn so much and, and we're like sponges and some of the things that we soak up isn't all always things that are aligned with us, serve us and the best for us. And so 
sometimes therapy is a great way to unpack that and figure out what's best for you. But then I now 2022 autumn, um, I'm thinking like, yes, but differently because I'm learning that therapy doesn't look just one way. You know, I, you know, I, I like coaching. Life coaching sounds cool. Like, you know, I think that, you know, um, you know, coming, going to a life coach with a specific goal in mind, a specific you know, outcome that you're looking for and I'm having you strategize is great. Now, if you're looking for something clinical, if you're looking for someone, you know, clinically, you know, to work with you through those childhood traumas, that's a therapist now. But, you know, then there's, you know, yoga and meditation and those are forms of therapy, dance therapy and ecotherapy. Like there's so many different types of therapy. So depending what you need, but I do believe that you need to have some kind of outlet for sure, 100%. And I'm, you know, of course, I'm a little biased because I think therapy can definitely knock out majority of those things. But, you know, I also understand that everything isn't for everyone. And, I, you know, so I won't and I, so I don't try to push therapy on everyone. But I do encourage you to have some kind of outlet because you cannot bottle it in. It cannot it cannot stay there. And everyone has some work to do. <laughs> we all got work to do. So I do believe that. Does everyone have work to do? Yes. Does everyone have to be, go to therapy to do it? Maybe not. But there you got to do the work. You got to do the work and you have to do it efficiently and healthy and functionally and healthy as possible, for sure. Um, now, mm -hmm. and now when you say, um, you know, lifelong, once you, if you do decide that therapy is a, um, you know, a decision you want to take up because it's very courageous um, to do. And so if you decide to make that courageous decision, um, I don't, this is something I do feel strong, firm about. I don't believe therapy is to be lifelong. Um, unless, of course, you have those, you know, certain, you know, conditions and severe psychiatric diagnoses that may require long-term maintenance and care, of course. But I think just for, you know, for the, you know, on a, on a broader scale of things, I think therapy is meant to give you the tools that you already had. I'll help you all to see them, sharpen them up, enhance them, find new tools that connect with you in the time that you're in or the space that you're in at that time. And send you in your way so that you can continue to hand, you know, the, you know, to handle life with those tools. Um, I'm a strong believer in being independent. Um, I'm a strong believer in being, you know, um, you know, having your own agency and being able to, you know, having having that trust within yourself that you can solve problems. Of course, you you know, reaching out to people. You know, of course, we're we're naturally social beings and we depend on people. But you know, to some extent, I think, um, you know, therapy is just it's like a like when you're in a NASCAR track and you got to stop and you got to get the oil engine and everything grease the oil the power wash I don't know what they do with that pit stop in mm. a NASCAR track thing but it's kind of like that that's the best way I can put it as a metaphor and it seems right back around right um now I also believe that sometimes we come to different phases in our lives like you know I went to I went to therapy when I was a college student and then once I got into college I felt great I was fine and then I got engaged and married. Now I'm in a whole different phase of my life. And now it's like a lot of changes happening and I need to talk to a new therapist about that. And so, you know, I believe that's, I encourage that actually, you know, because we're not going to be the same person all the time. We involve, evolve, involve as well. And sometimes we need some help navigating those changes and those adjustments. So I encourage that for sure. But I mean, I, my personally, personally in my style, I don't like for my clients to feel like they have to see me forever. I want them to be able to feel empowered enough to know that they can handle things because I'm not always going to be here or available. <laughs> I might change, I might, I might get the bigger bag, gotta go. So <laughs> I'm going to need you to be okay with me not being here. That's, that's how I feel about that. Oh man, I love that. And then, but yeah, yeah. just to close things up, um, just like briefly respond to this tweet that we saw, especially since you started um, clinically working in the, in, 
the pandemic. Um, but the tweet said, Black women don't often recognize they're struggling with depression or anxiety. Instead, they think they're failing. Mm, yes. And so I, I definitely resonate with this because this is something I talk about often, even just in my sessions and things like anxiety and depression is, is heavily rooted in this feelings of failure and even perfectionism. Um, and just because we have like these unrealistic expectations set upon ourselves um, that we feel like if we don't match those rules or if we don't, you know, meet that criteria, um, you know, we are, you know, I guess you can say, you know, we, fe we feel reduced or inadequate, so to speak. So, and then it's like, but what's the reality? You know, that you're really setting expectations for something that doesn't even match with your reality. And so that's going to leave us feeling some kind of emotional distress or injury. And so I think it's really important for us to get real with ourselves. And sometimes that requires having someone objective coming in, whether that's a friend, a coach, a therapist, a mentor, someone, you know, just coming in. It's like, actually, like that doesn't, because sometimes when we're in the moment, we can't really see it until we have opportunity to step outside of it. Um, so that's sometimes why we, it becomes internalized. But yeah, all those unreal, unrealistic expectations Watch out for that word should and supposed to. Like, it should be like this. It's supposed to be like, like it's not, though. Wonderful. Yes. Well, listen, we have thoroughly enjoyed having you on Autumn. Thank you so much yeah, for gracing us with your presence and your expertise. Um, to our audience, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Girlfriends and Goals podcast. You've heard our thoughts on this topic. We'd love to hear yours as well. So make sure you follow us on Instagram at Girlfriends and Goals podcast, where we'll continue this conversation over the next week. If you haven't subscribed already, please go ahead and do that now. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Until next time, bye. 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 bye.